across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And Zadorov oh. smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yep. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. I'm your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. Arif, this is the podcast we've been waiting for for how long now? I mean, it's finally here. The season's announced. 56 games starting January 13th, less than three weeks away. How stoked are you? I'm so pumped, and I'm so happy they announced it when they did because we said two Sundays ago that we'll be back in a couple Sundays, and and we got the news just earlier today. It's 7 o'clock p.m. locally now, and we actually have a hockey season to talk about. All we're waiting for is the game schedule, but we have all the other details. Yeah, I mean, they trickled it out, right? I mean, we started hearing mumblings of this uh, final announcement. I think it was Friday. Uh, so, yeah. you know, the last couple of days have been slowly that that coming together, but it still doesn't feel real to me. It's still, I don't know, it still feels like uh, hockey's not, I, I don't know, I just, it doesn't, I can't grasp it yet because, you know, I've spent the whole week last week, I finally caved and I started watching NHL Network replays from 2015, 2017. I finally caved and I said, you know what? I miss hockey this bad. So I'm just, I'm ecstatic. It's crazy because the regular season is literally 24 days away. And by the time our listeners, you know, hear this Monday, it'll be 23 days away. And if that sounds like it's really, really quickly and just approaching like fat, really, really fast, it's because it is. Because in a normal season, Training camp and the preseason, it's a 22-day thing. And right now, we're about to start training camp in two weeks, have training camp, no preseason, and have opening night either at Ball Arena or at one of these away rinks in 24 days. It's got to be a lot more hectic for the players too, right? Especially the yeah. guys that are yeah. uh, out of country. Like, oh, shoot, now we got to drop everything and get the heck home. Um, or I guess second home. But, as... but I, be I bet they're excited. I bet they're excited. Sure, dude. Sure. Like the holidays, the holidays are this week. They're pumped. They're going to go enjoy their time with their family. And then it's all hockey on their mind. Like the, this is something they've been waiting for. The Avalanche have played 15 games from March 11 until when they start the season January 13. And those 15 games were the playoffs. You know, Tampa Bay played a lot more than that. And then the seven teams that didn't play in the playoffs literally would have not played a game from March 11 to January 13. That's a you know, 10 months, that's about 300 days. Uh, hockey players are, are creatures of habit. They are pumped. They are excited. Even if it is going to be a little bit hectic, um, as long as everybody does their part because we are still in a pandemic, then this is going to happen and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just crazy to think, like you just said, those guys who haven't played since before the pandemic started, uh, you know, they almost went a full year without playing in an yeah. NHL hockey game. So that's it's crazy. That's nuts. But yeah, lots to dissect in the announcement. So let's go ahead and get started. I wanted to start off with the division realignment, right? Not just the realignment yeah. itself, but let's let's kick it off with the names, right? They have the North, the East, the West, and the Central. But in my opinion, they kind of missed an opportunity. Do you think maybe they they could have sold the names of the divisions and perhaps give these sponsors? I mean, we heard today that the uh, Helmets sponsorship has now been okayed, and those are a, a go. 
I think they could have sold the division names too. I think so too. It's just one of those things where I'm pretty sure, like, I, I don't think they are so out of touch to not have thought about it, especially in a season like this where it's a one-off. Uh, if you put a helmet uh, advertisement if you get a helmet advertisement, that's not going to be a one-off. The NHL is not going to open that door and then close it because of the money they're going to make. But division names in a one year in one year where you have to you're forced into realignment, yeah, it just makes sense. Uh, maybe they explored it and it just wasn't what they thought it would be. Uh, I would have loved to see them go back to like the Smythe and the Patrick division, but you know what? To have I I, I like it. I mean, it's it's exactly what it sounds like, and to have a Canadian division called the North. Like, come on. It's perfect. Yeah, I would have liked a little more creativity, but whatever. It's only going to be for a couple months here, right? But um, I think the realignment is really the most intriguing part of this whole new schedule to me, right? Because each division has to stay within the division. And I think it's going to really create a unique, uh, I guess, playing style within each division that come playoff time, once the final champion of each division meet in in that final four uh, that they're going to call the semifinals, it's going to be, I, I don't know, I think it's going to throw a lot of teams off and there's going to be just a, an adjustment period for a few. Because, I mean, look at, let's start with the Tampa Bay Lightning division, right? I, I feel like yeah. they're kind of they're going to kind of coast through this season and not, not have too difficult of a time. Suddenly, once you get out of playing within your own division and you hit a, you know, you meet up with a team like the Avalanche or the Vegas Golden Knights or even, you know, whoever comes out of the East, like, like Boston, um, you know, I think it's going to be a, a culture shock for them and just be... catch them off guard catch them on their heels like whoa these guys were playing a crazy style of hockey over there yeah that's that's the cool thing about this is you know you know when the nhl changed their division format back in the 2013-14 season and introduced this new this new playoff uh seating with the divisions and the and the wild card teams if you remember before they introduced the wild card concept it was originally going to be the top four in each division and uh the nhl pa and, and the owner's ultimately didn't agree to it for met for, for exactly the reason why the wild card division is is broken is because your fourth seed in one division might have 85 points and the fifth seed in another division might have a hundred so that's why they introduced the wild card format and I get it but even if they did have those top four yeah you're you'll be playing your playoff tree among your division opponents in the first and the second round but the regular season you're still playing all 30 of the other teams. So the difference this year is, so let's say the Avalanche make the playoffs, which we're expecting them to, and let's say they they win the first round and make it to the second round. It doesn't matter if they win the second round or not, but let's just say they get past the first round, and let's pretend the first round and the second round both go seven games. For starters, that would mean they would win a game seven in round one, which hallelujah, they haven't done that in almost 20 years. (laughs) But in that scenario... 56 regular season games plus seven plus seven you're talking 70 games against seven opponents it's not going to be 10 per because you're going to play a playoff series against two of them plus the regular season but the avalanche are literally their road to the final four which is something they've been trying to get over that hump for the last two years and something they haven't done since 2002 19 years before all of this their road to the third round is between 56 plus 8, so 64 to 70 games against the Minnesota Wild, Arizona, San Jose, Anaheim, LA, Vegas, and St. Louis. And that's something we've never seen in the NHL, and that's going to be really cool. And for the Canadian division, they only have seven teams, so they're going to play each other nine or ten times each, plus the playoffs, so their road to the playoffs is going to be through six other teams. 
And that's mind boggling to me. It's going to be such a unique case and it's going to create a lot of rivalries. And for teams like Minnesota, St. Louis and Arizona, who will be in the Avalanches division moving forward next year, it's going to create and generate a lot of hate. And I'm, I'm really excited for it, to be honest with you. I could also just see, I mean, looking at the teams in the Avalanche division, Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, L.A., Minnesota, San Jose, St. Louis, Vegas, I just think it's going to be a, a considered a fast division. Same with the yeah. Canadian division. I mean, with the Oilers, the Leafs, the Canucks, those are some fast teams, you know, so I think they're going to get used to having these speedy styles and, uh, you know, just it's going to be a slap in the face once they meet up with Tampa Bay. Because look at Tampa Bay, Carolina, Columbus, Dallas, Detroit, Chicago, Florida, Nashville. That's who they're up against. I mean, let's let's get into that division first. There's going to be four winners, four guys getting into the play, four teams getting into the playoffs. So which four do you think out of that division? Well, I'm going to sit here and just uh, pass some time while I pull it up in front of me so I can make sure I got the right teams. Uh, Tampa Bay is going to the playoffs. That's for sure. I, I, I'm pretty much going to guarantee that Carolina will be there too. Uh, it would be hard to imagine that Carolina doesn't make it. And Dallas, of course. Dallas is going to be your third team. And then from then, it's a crapshoot. I mean, I don't think Detroit mm-hmm. is going to find a way to make it, but you have a Nashville who suddenly can can do something. You're going to have a Columbus who can do something, a Florida who's, who's a big possibility for a resurgent team. You know, they still have Joel Quinville. They still have a lot of firepower. Uh, they just need Bobrovsky to not be terrible. Pretty much everybody's in it except for probably Detroit and Chicago. So that's going to be really exciting to see. Uh, but the only guarantees in that division, I would imagine, are Tampa Bay and Carolina. Because even Dallas, let's face it, dude, they can fall off. They're going to have Anton Hudobin and Jake Ottinger running the show for the first three months of the season. Hudobin is still a backup goalie, and I know he's had great numbers, but let's see if he continues to do what he did in the bubble. And then you're also going to not have Tyler Sagan for five months. You're also going to not have Corey Perry, who moved on. And you're going to have a very beaten and battered team that is a little bit older. So let's see if Dallas can guarantee that third playoff spot. Uh, but it's it's going to be an open division. And like you said, Tampa Bay is kind of going to coast through it uh, and, and not have much of a challenge, which deservedly so for them. It just worked out that way because because of the playoff run that they just went through. I don't see, I mean, Carolina's kind of got the same issues as Dallas. I don't think their goaltending's that stable that they're going to, you know, easily breeze through this division and, and safely get to the playoffs. I mean, Mrazic can do things here and there, but I wouldn't call them exceptional. So I just think that's Tampa Bay's division hands down. Yeah. They might they might it's, go it's, undefeated. It's absolutely it's absolutely Tampa Bay's division. And and the thing is, the reason why I, ha- I, I have a lot of hope for Carolina, unlike, unlike Dallas, is because of the Ajos and the Svechnikovs and the Teravinans. They have a lot of talent. And Dougie Hamilton, who, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for an injury in, I think, January, Dougie Hamilton probably would have won the Norris or been right there in the top three with a Hedman and a Yossi. So... I think Carolina is a little bit better than we're giving them credit for. And I think they dropped the ball this summer. Them and the Oilers are not bringing in a goaltender. But, hey, if they're the team they were last year, they're a fun, exciting team. Svechnikov's going to take another step. Aho's going to take another step. Hopefully, Dougie Hamilton is healthy. And hopefully, Mrazek and Reimer just can hold the fort down like they did last year. Unlike the Dallas Stars, Mrazek and Reimer are at least a tandem. The Dallas Stars have a kid from BU and Jake Ottinger who... Yeah, he was a high draft pick. Yeah, he's got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of hype, a lot of hype and potential around him, but you just don't know what he's going to be, especially in a season like this. And when Ben Bishop comes back, is he even going to be in a, a factor or is he going to do what he did against the Avalanche in the playoffs in this one period of performance? 
So who knows? Like that's that's the thing about the Dallas Stars. They have guys that are gonna take steps, like the Rupi Hints and the Kivirantas and and all these guys. But they're by no means a Svechnikov. They're by no means an Aho. They're they're not even a Teravainen. So I feel really good about Carolina taking the number two seed in that division. But everything else from then, you really can't you can't predict it. Not now. I hear you. So let, let's move on to the uh, North. Uh, division there. Of course, this is a unique division because we this is the, the only division that has seven teams rather than eight. So yeah. four of the seven are, are obviously making it onto the playoffs. So what do you think? I think that's good. It's going to be great for the morale of the uh, Canadian teams. Yeah. You know, there's so many uh, disappointing years that they've had up there with all, all the teams combined. So it'll be it'll be nice to see one of the Canadian teams get some success for once. Yeah, and one of these Canadian teams are going to be in the in the conference final and among the final four. Uh, if we're talking predictions, I'm going to go ahead and predict that Toronto will win the regular season. So we're not talking playoffs right now. Who knows what happens then? But I truly think the Maple Leafs will win the division. And then this is when it gets interesting. Toronto's going to be at the top. Ottawa will likely be at the bottom. And everything else in between, throw the teams in a blender and pick them out of a hat. Uh, well throw the teams in a hat and pick them out of a hat or put them in a blender pick them out of a blender you can't put them in a yeah you get you get the point so if toronto wins the division then you have four teams that i think you really got to keep your eye on and that's calgary edmonton montreal and vancouver montreal made a lot of great moves they bought in josh anderson you know with or without a seven-year contract for a lot of money he's a great addition they bought in joel edmondson they bought in jake allen to offset some of that workload from Carey price and they brought in tyler to and they also had in the in the playoffs nick suzuki nick suzuki and jesper kotkaniemi really take a big step and a step that was very necessary for this team they re-signed brendan gallagher Carey price looks like himself shea weber's still killing it i think montreal goes number two in that division and then you have the three Western Canadian teams in Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Two of them make it, one of them don't. And it's really interesting to think. And that doesn't even include Winnipeg, who if Connor Hellebuck has the same season he had this year, could ultimately steal a playoff position. But I think Toronto and Montreal will go one and two. Edmonton, hey, if Mike Smith and, and Miko Koskinen shit the bed, they're not going to do much. And I know they have Connor McDavid, and I know they have Leon Dreisaitl, and I know they added some guys like Kyle Turris, and Tyler Ennis is coming back. Uh, they they added Tyson Berry, which is going to be an exceptional addition, especially considering that Oscar Clefbaum's not going to play this year. But, you know, it's going to ultimately rely on their goaltending is going to be the deciding factor if they make the playoffs. And then you have the Calgary Flames, who are still a good team and have a goaltender now in Markstrom. And then you have the Vancouver Canucks who lost Markstrom and Tanev, obviously both to Calgary. They lost Troy Stetcher to the Red Wings. They lost Tyler to Foley, but they added Nate Schmidt and Braden Holtby. And they also still have Pedersen and Hughes. It's going to be a fun division. I'm really excited for it. I'm I'm big on watching Sportsnet and listening to their radio shows. And, and the hype they've had for this potential Canadian division for the last two months has been really fun to listen to. And I think it's just going to be a fun thing to watch. I like your breakdown there. Overall, uh, only thing I would kind of call adjust, me hockey guy for a reason. I think uh, Montreal. I think they could go either way. You know, they weren't yeah. necessarily a good team. They were definitely aggressive this off season, but you know that could either be uh, really helpful or, or kind of detrimental there. So I don't know about penciling them in right in that second slot just yet. And then yeah, for a second there, 
it sounded like you were discounting uh, Winnipeg and just throwing them at the bottom uh, right there with Ottawa. But I think there's there's a chance there. There's a chance. They're, they're not going to be promising. And I like your prediction of Toronto probably being the best team out of there. But there's a chance. There's something in Winnipeg that they could do something. And that's the thing. Winnipeg, Vancouver, Calgary, and Montreal all and the Oilers all strike me as teams that if they – and I'm, I'm going to go by it point percentage because I'm not going to pretend I can – picture what 56 games feels like but if all five of those teams i can see them operating at a percentage of 95 points in a regular season and i can see them operating at a percentage of 80 points or 75 points in a regular season it's just hard to predict and neither one would surprise me if the oilers operate on a 100 point pace in a full season it wouldn't surprise me because they have mcdavid and dry and it's a good team and they added tyson berry but if the Oilers and the if the Oilers completely shit the bed and are below five hundred team, which over a full eighty two game season maybe is like a eighty or seventy five point pace, I'd look and I'd say, hey, they still didn't address their goaltending situation. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. Vancouver, they lost a bunch of guys. It wouldn't surprise me uh, if, if they were bad. You know, relying on Thatcher Demko, an older aging Braden Holtby. But it wouldn't surprise me if they're good because Pedersen and Quinn Hughes are going to take a step. So every single one of those teams, Montreal is one of them too. I personally think they're going to take a step. But if they don't, who's going to be surprised by the team that just barely squeaked into the bubble playoff tournament last year? Uh, that's what's going to be fun about this division. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the only two predictions that I'm willing to make confidently is Ottawa's at the bottom and Toronto's at the top. And even Ottawa at the bottom it's going to be an exciting bottom seeded team. It's not going to be the 2017 Avalanche or last year's Red Wings. It's going to be a team that's fun to watch. Those those 2016 Maple Leafs when they first had Babcock, uh, the Avalanche in 2010, granted they ended up squeaking into the playoffs. It's going to be one of those fun teams to watch. Now, the Canadian government and, you know, the individual provinces were kind of throwing a wrench in the plans yeah. there for a while. And, you know, there's still probably a lot to be figured out, I guess, with the, you yep. know, with the Canadian uh, travel and everything like that. But how is that looking right now? Is that being cleared up? Obviously, they got a, the NHL got a thumbs up from the uh, Canadian government to go ahead and pull the trigger on this or else it wouldn't have happened. But um, I figure there's still got to be some stuff to uh, iron out on that front. Yeah, so the provincial governments in British Columbia and in Ontario have not given the okay yet, and the NHL is still uh, currently in negotiations with them. Ontario obviously affects two teams, that's the Maple Leafs and the Senators. Uh, Vancouver is in British Columbia, so they would be affected. These are all teams that if their governments don't don't give the NHL the green light, they're going to have to play in different cities. You're going to have to look to a Saskatoon or to a, or to a Quebec City or to other areas where there's you know, legit NHL rinks, or maybe sharing an arena with a Winnipeg or something like that. Um, if they have to play those neutral site games, if they have to play hub style games where you're sharing an arena, uh, it is what it is. But ultimately, what we can confirm is that the Canadian division is going to happen and seven Canadian teams are going to play 56 games amongst each other, plus the first and second round of the playoffs, all in the country of Canada. Whether those governments allow it or not, who knows? Uh, I personally think at this point they're just trying to send a message and it's 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 bogus because, you know, not that you and I are in Canada, but if you and I were in Canada, we can, you know, both jump into an airplane in Toronto right now and fly to Vancouver and then to Winnipeg and then to Edmonton and, and nobody would bat an eye. But Canadian teams that are going to be flying chartered flights with extra safety and extra protocols – going straight from the flight to a hotel room to an ice rink, back to a hotel room, back to an airplane. Uh, 
they're not going to allow them to do that. It just doesn't make sense. It seems like they're just trying to send a message and say we're not going to be hypocritical, which in the reality is the way that the NHL is going to go about this this season, it's not going to be hypocritical because they are going to take those extra safety measures. Granted, all of this is moot point. The Canadian division will happen. It's just a matter of ironing out the details of if those teams get to use their arenas or not. Another interesting caveat of the Canadian division is, like I mentioned, just the fact that they are the odd number uh, of teams yeah. in the division. So, which means some teams are going to play others nine times, and some teams are going to play others ten times. So, I wonder yep. if at the end of the season we're going to look back and be like, "Wow, it was really crazy how Toronto ended up getting Ottawa." F- 10 times rather than Edmonton 10 times and they only had to play Edmonton you know you know what I'm saying so I wonder yeah. if that's going to really uh, at the end of the day kind of shake out to be uh, an advantage for one team over another so the cool thing is uh, I, I get what you're saying and I would understand it if this was a division like the avalanches like the avalanches division where let's just say the avalanche got the three California teams 10 times each and then they got Vegas and St. Louis only nine times each. Yeah, that's six points on the table. But when you look at the Canadian division, like we were saying, really the only weak team right now is Ottawa. Uh, So if Toronto gets 10 games against Ottawa and nine against others, obviously they'll have 10 against other teams as well. It's only two points. And and this is a preseason prediction. Once the season begins, if Vancouver ends up going, let's say 10 and 46, and Toronto gets to play Vancouver 10 times, Nobody predicted that Vancouver was going to be that bad of a team. But going into the season, the only team that we know is going to be a hindrance or possibly the, the worst team is the Ottawa Senators. So I don't think it's going to be that big of a that big of an advantage. Granted, look, Twitter is Twitter, fans are fans. And if the if the Edmonton Oilers finished the season 15 and 41 and Montreal got to play them 10 times and beat them up all 10 times, then Maple Leafs fans are going to look at Montreal and say, "Well, you only made it to the playoffs cuz you got Edmonton." But who would have thought from today that Edmonton would be the team to go 15 and 41? I mean, we just kind of discussed how tight that fourth spot in the Canadian division is going to be. It's yeah. going to be a race. So, yeah, I mean, imagine points. that fifth team loses by two points. Like you're saying, oh, well, it's only two points. We say that now, but at the end of the season, it could be, it could make or break a team. You know what, man? B- the Buffalo Sabres, the reason why they didn't get to participate in the playoffs was literally, I think, a .01 point percentage or some crazy number like that. Uh we're still living in a pandemic. It's a 56-game season. We're thankful we have it. If anybody tries to complain, it's in one ear and out the other. The reality is this is going to be different. It's going to be funky, but it's going to be hockey, and it's going to be fun. And like the 2020 season, there isn't going to be an asterisk on this. It's just going to be a fun season. Granted, that's, that's assuming there isn't any crazy outbreaks, and you end up in a situation like the Denver Broncos a few weeks ago where they had to play some guy on off they pulled a guy off the 25 and told him to start a quarterback or something i don't know what happened but unless something like that happens this season is just going to be another season but it's going to be different it's going to be funky and if anybody tries to complain about it then you know what they're just going to be complaining about anything well don't get it twisted i'm not doing it to complain i'm just saying it's a point yeah, of yeah. intrigue no, something to it. keep an eye on yeah. you know because like you said buffalo did miss the playoffs and i think you can even point to a game that i think it was right before uh the pandemic <laughs> that they played against <laughs> montreal no, not yeah. even here in Be- They played against Montreal, oh, yeah, yeah, and Montreal yeah, is the one that ultimately edged them out for that last playoff spot. So I think it could come down to, to something like that, and it'd be fun if it and does, it's, right? It's crazy. It's crazy what's changed because of that. Montreal edging them out gave them an opportunity to play in this playoff tournament. They upset the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that pretty much saved Mark Bergevin's job, and it pretty much made him go out and acquire assets rather than blow the team up this summer. Now suddenly they have a Jake Allen and a Tyler Toffoli and a Joel Edmondson and a, and a Josh Anderson, all for long-term deals. 
in the grand scheme of things because they beat Buffalo in a game that they had no idea when they were playing it actually mattered because four days later the season shut down. Crazy, crazy. how the dominoes fall. Yeah. Um, I wanted I, w- I was saving this for a little bit later in the podcast, but you just brought it up, so let's let's talk about it before we get to the other two divisions here. And that's uh, what happens if someone does test positive, because I think there's a big risk of not only a, a whole team testing positive, but suddenly an outbreak within an entire division. And like you said, what if there's a situation like the Denver Broncos had, and suddenly all three goalies for the Colorado Avalanche were hanging out together, one of them got COVID, and now none of them can go. So there's there's a, a big I guess scenario that we've still wait wait to uh, see how the NHL reacts because they didn't have to in the bubble, right? So I'm I'm curious to see how they handle uh, an outbreak. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. The NFL's had some funky cases. You know, we talked about the QB situation with Drew Locke and all the other QBs uh, ultimately being put on a COVID list because of exposure. Because I think I forget which one of the QBs tested positive and it exposed all the others. Uh, we also saw Brandon McManus who tested. I think he was exposed and then had a bunch of negative tests, but the NFL's policies, you need five days of negative tests leading up to game day. And since they played on a Saturday, their kicker didn't get to play. But if they had a regular Sunday game today, instead of yesterday, it would have been day six and he would have been eligible. However, the NFL plays once a week. So they can put in a, they can put in a policy where it's five, five days of negative tests because they play once every seven or eight days or so. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the NHL. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be unique. They're preparing for anything and everything right now. That's why they have this taxi squad that we'll talk about later. That's why they're going to have every team is is uh, is uh, you you have to carry you are you are you you cannot carry less than three goalies. You have to have two goalies plus a goalie on your practice on your taxi squad if you don't have three on your roster like the Rangers did all of last season. And they're doing that for a reason. They're making sure that teams are prepared for the potential of both of their goalies being exposed and needing somebody to play. They're making sure that teams are prepared for the possibility of three or four guys having to jump out of the lineup last second. Well, now you have this taxi squad and you're somewhere in San Jose and you can just plug in Martin Cow and Shane Bowers and whoever the heck else is going to be on this taxi squad because the entire second line was exposed, for example. So they're preparing for it in terms of what those guidelines are going to look like and what the rules are going to be that has not been announced yet i haven't even seen so much as a sniff of a tweet about that so i'm really curious to see what's going to happen with that and and, and i'm really interested in, in in reading more about that as the information comes out i also know there were talks of that taxi squad you know you can't just have them sitting on the shelf the entire season watching the every game from the press box they have to have a certain amounts of games played if you're going to keep them with the team which I'm curious if that's the same rule that they're going to apply with the goalies if you're carrying three goalies does that mean you have to play the third one at least a couple times I mean it's it's going to be uh you know still fascinating to, to see how some of these things get figured out yeah, I'm I'm really interested about the goalie thing. The player thing is not a huge deal. I mean, if, if I think you it's have cool though, sit, it's cool. Yeah, nobody oh, gets no, Mark Barbarioed. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And if if you if you're gonna have all these guys on a taxi squad, I almost said Anton Lindholm, but he's not on this team anymore. If you're gonna have somebody like a Shane Bowers or Martin Cout on the taxi squad, eventually you need to play him. And if you're the Avalanche and you're playing five games and seven nights in California, for example, against San Jose, LA, and Anaheim. Uh, because let's face it, the season this year is probably going to look more like a baseball schedule. You're probably going to go to San Jose and play three games over five nights or four nights or something like that just to save on travel and to expedite the season. 
you know, it's it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to take Tyson Jost or Matt Calvert or Pierre Edward Belmar on the fourth line and say, hey, this is our fifth game in seven days. You've been getting your butt kicked out there. Take a break. Or let's take it a step further. Your guys at the top of the lineup. Hey, Landeskog, you've been killing it for the last four games. Take a day off. You know, we're 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 42 and eight through 50 games. These last six games don't matter. Go ahead and take a day off. Take take two days off if you need it. And let's give Shane Bowers and Martin Kaut a spot in the lineup. So it's going to be interesting. Like we were saying, players teams are going to need a lot of players. You're going to need depth this season. That's where teams like Toronto, I think, are really going to have a big advantage because their AHL is is loaded with players that are on two-way deals that are ultimately in a regular team. They're, they're NHL talent, but they have all these guys sitting in the AHL. They're like 28 guys, 29 guys deep. The Avalanche's 28th and 29th guys on the team are going to be your Shane Bowers and your Martin Couts and guys like that that don't necessarily have a lot of experience, if for Bowers' case at all. I think the uh, baseball-style mini-series presents an advantage with uh, preventing outbreaks, right? I mean, if there is an outbreak, you're not yeah. immediately traveling to another team that, you know, perhaps somebody's yeah. uh, exposed that, that they didn't know about it. But um, I also think with the... Uh, the mini series is going to create a really interesting uh, caveat in the in the game planning too, because how fun is that going to be? Okay, tonight what we were what we tried here didn't work. Now for tomorrow night we got to completely adjust, and now suddenly you've got coaches just uh, you know working the game plans differently than they ever have. Because I, I don't know, and that just again presents something yeah. really fun for me and different and exciting to, to see how teams uh, adjust to that. Look, even the Detroit Red Wings with the te- with the team they have. Granted, they have a lot more talent than last year, but with the team they have, with Jeff Blaschel behind the bench, even the Detroit Red Wings playing the Tampa Bay Lightning three times in four nights. By the time it gets to the third game, they're gonna have a way to beat that team. It's gonna be really hard to sweep these series. This is why in in the NHL playoffs we rarely see four nothing sweeps in the playoffs, is because even the Colorado versus Arizona that we saw last year, the Avalanche. Grubauer stood on his head in game one. The Avalanche scored all those third period goals. They won the first game. Then they won the second game on a last minute or I think five minutes left, a goal from Berikovsky. And then in game three, Darcy Kemper stood on his head. The Coyotes shut down the Avalanche's offense, won. And then the Avalanche came back in games four and five and scored 14 goals. It's got a touchdown in each game. So even the Arizona Coyotes against the Avalanche, which was the mismatch of the year last year, the Coyotes still found a way to game plan and say, this is how we're going to beat them. And it worked for one game. So you never see sweeps. It's rare It's rare that you see it. So the Avalanche playing against those same Coyotes this year, playing against the Sharks, the Kings, the Ducks, whoever it ends up being, that's a bottom feeder. Minnesota as well. Every time they go a 3-0 and sweep, assuming there is a three-game series. We haven't seen a schedule yet. That should be announced sometime later in the week. Uh, or in the well, I mean, what's week. interesting with that is that if they do, they're they're only going to have to do two three-game series with each team and then a two-game yeah. series. Exactly. You know, they've only got eight, so uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 going to be fun to see, but I mean, it's it's going to be really cool because if you, go to, if you go to San Jose and then to LA all in a week and you play six games in nine days, uh, that eats up a lot of time. And when you come back to Denver, you can have two practice days that you otherwise wouldn't have had in a regular season. I mean... An NHL season in, in a 186-game schedule, which is usually how long the NHL goes for, for 82 games, it's already hard to get practice time because of all the mandated days off and all the back-to-backs and the travel. Um, and in, in a season like this where it's just going to be really, really quick and expedited, it's going to be even harder to get practice time. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is what's going to help the NHL teams get that practice time to say, hey, let's practice for two days and prepare for six games and nine nights against these two teams – 
And then let's come back home to the drawing board because we're going to have two days off before we got to go play the Vegas Golden Knights for three days. And they're going to kick our asses if we're not ready for them. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see it. But I will say this from now. If the NHL does do this thing where there's three game series, any sweep that any team has over another team is going to be impressive. It's going to be impressive. And again, that's even if it's Tampa Bay sweeping the Red Wings, I will still be impressed by it because it's hard to do that in the NHL. By the time you get to the third game, it's really easy to plan for how to beat that team. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about those three-game schedules. And, and you know, I, I don't think it's going to be like a regular season where you're going to have two, sometimes three days off. But if you do these two, three-game stretches at, at a time, that could allow for more rest time, especially if you do like a college style yeah. Friday. What, how sweet would that be? A Thursday, Friday, Saturday? I think that's a bit outrageous. I don't think they do it, but maybe a. Yeah, it would be Thursday, Friday, yeah, Sunday. Yeah, yes, exactly. So that'd be fun. That'd be awesome. I'm just that. That just occurred to me. I, I like that idea. Yeah, and you're gonna have 125 days for this regular season, so you're gonna have a game on average every 2.2 days, or I think it's 123 days. Uh, so you're going to have a game on average every 2.19 days. So if you play, like I was saying, you go to San Jose and LA and you play three and four, and then you have a day off and then three and four, you're looking at six games in nine days or six games in 10 days if you add in an extra day in there. And then you come back home and now you can take two days off before your next game. So you'll have a day off for the players, then you'll have one day to practice. And then here comes the Vegas Golden Knights to Ball Arena for three games and four nights. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, – like I was saying, in a regular season, you have 186 ga- uh, days. So usually you have a game every 2.26 days. It's only going to be a little bit less than that in this season. Uh, but you know, over over a full year, you're looking at this season is going to be accelerated. Over 56 games, this season is going to be accelerated by about 11 to 12 days. So it's already going to go 11 to 12 days faster. But by having these three game mini season mini series, you can you can offset those 12 days of a, of a accelerated season and really give the players the opportunity to rest and practice. It's funny that it's only 11 to 12 days. It seems like it would be longer. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's. Uh, I think we've been making a big fuss about how quick the season is going to go because we talked about it on our last episode in 2013. The Aval- the NHL had a shortened season. And they played 48 games starting January, what was it, 19. They started January 19. They played 48 games, and the cup was still awarded June 26. This year, they're given the cup the opportunity to go to July 15, and they're starting six days earlier. So you add those 18 days on this side, you add the six days on this side, that's 24 extra days. And in those 24 days, they're only adding eight more regular season games. So that leaves, you know, 24 over eight. That's three extra days per game added. Granted, those extra 16 days are going to be necessary because there's going to be the potential for outbreaks and rescheduled games like we see in the NFL. So you need that buffer zone to have that extra time. But it's not really that crazy. I mean, the NHL has done this before. In 2013, the season looked a heck of a lot more accelerated than it's going to look this year. Uh, And that was just seven years ago. And it happened before that again in 94-95. Right, and it's also crazy, you know, we've been having this July 15th date in our mind, like, oh man, it's, they're going to be pressed up against it, but the way it is, and if it, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but if they were to somehow go without having any positive tests throughout the whole season, they're going to be done before July 15th. So yeah, that, 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 the planning's great, it doesn't seem as chaotic as we thought, and uh, yeah, I think they're going to I think they're gonna knock this out, but, um, you know, it's time for us to reset, I think, because we got pretty distracted there and kind of derailed yeah, so let's get back division. to the uh, division 
conversation here. And, and now it's time for the East with Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Philadelphia Flyers, Washington Capitals, and Pittsburgh Penguins. I think this one might be the most intriguing. This is gonna be a bloodbath. right because you got and I don't mean you got five physically. No, you got just, six teams. You got six solid teams there. You got, you got really good teams here. You got six solid teams here, and I don't even think you counted Buffalo, which added Eric Stahl and Taylor Hall. No, I didn't. Right? No, you didn't. So we got Washington. We got Pittsburgh. I'm writing these down because this is going to be interesting. You got Washington, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, the New York Rangers, and the New York Islanders, who are all expected, and the Boston Bruins, holy moly, to all be good teams this year. So those are six powerful teams right there. And the two looking on the outside looking in are going to be the New Jersey Devils and the Buffalo Sabres. Those are what you would say the lower level. But Buffalo, let's face it, Buffalo starts every season like 25 and 0. And then they 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 die out after that. It happened in 2018-19, it happened in 2019-20, not literally 25 and 0, but you know, they had a 10-game winning streak two seasons ago, and last season they started strong. Jack Eichel was over a point per game last year. He had a hell of a season. So you just never know. They're going to add Eric Stahl. They're going to add Taylor Hall to this lineup. Uh, hopefully Jeff Skinner goes back to what he did two years ago. It's just a matter of their goaltenders making saves. And I believe Carter Hutton, there was a story written about him, how he was injured all of last year. So you never know. And then they have Linus Olmark. So maybe Buffalo can go out there and, you know, do something. Not feeling as positive about the New Jersey Devils. Yes, they added Corey Crawford. Yes, Mackenzie Blackwood's been playing good. Hopefully, P.K. Subban turns it around. But that team looks like the Ottawa of this division, the team that's just not going to keep up. Granted, the seven teams they're facing are a hell of a lot stronger, I would say, in my opinion, than the six that Ottawa's going to face. So the Devils are going to pl- have a lot more points and be a much better team than Ottawa. But they're just they're the odd man out in this division. They're the they're the they're the weakest link. And Washington, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, the Rangers, the Islanders, and Boston. Holy crap, that's going to be fun to watch. The Islanders, every year we count them out, and every year they 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 do something glorious. They have Ilya Sorokin coming from Russia, who, in my opinion, is up up there with Igor Shesterkin in terms of you know the future of goaltending, and they're both young Russians, which brings me to the New York Rangers, who are going to have Shesterkin and Georgiev running the show because Lundqvist is no longer there, and they have Panarin, who was third place in the in the Hart Trophy voting and had a 95 point season last year. They've added Alexis Alexis Lafreniere. They have Kapokako in year two. They're going to have Zibanejad and Kreider. Adam Fox, Jacob Truba, Tony D'Angelo. They have a lot of good guys on that team. And then Philadelphia, which took a massive step, and Carter Hart looks like the big looks like the real deal. They're looking to be strong. The Washington Capitals, as much as we want to say, hey, they're older and sort of on the decline now, suddenly they went out and brought in Pierre Laviolette. How fun is that guy going to be coaching Ovechkin? I, I forgot about that until recently. And then you it's have just the, with Washington. Sorry to interrupt you, though, but with with Washington, they're going to have a real tough time with their goalie situation now that Henrik Lundqvist isn't around because yeah, you needed that second goalie this season. There. I was getting there. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a little bit. Uh, it's that's such an unfortunate situation. I know mm-hmm. we'll talk more about it, you know, later on in the podcast. But you know, I feel for Lundqvist. This is not the ending that we thought it would be. Not that his career is over, but I mean for this season. There was all this talk about a trade deadline and a potential buyout, which happened, a possible trade, come to the avalanche, go to this team, go to that team. And then he chose the Capitals, and for it to happen like this sucks. Ilya Samsonov is by no means a guaranteed number one goaltender, but he does have the potential to do it. Peter Laviolette's going to be a great addition to that team. 
uh, as the coach, like I was saying. So it could go either way. And then you have Pittsburgh, who now that they've traded Murray, Tristan Jari better be the guy because it's the same exact thing in Pittsburgh. And we saw how they played in the playoffs last year. We saw how they played in the playoffs the year before. Crosby and Malkin are getting older. Latang's getting older. Um, you know, they added some depth pieces this summer, but Pittsburgh and Washington, those are two teams that could win the division or be on the outside looking in, and it wouldn't surprise me either way. But with Philadelphia, the Rangers, the Islanders, and the Bruins, who I believe Pasternak's going to be injured for three months, so that'll suck. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? It's 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 just going to be a very, very intriguing division to watch, um, and, and I'm excited to see it because there's... If you include Buffalo, there are seven teams in this division that can make the playoffs, and and either one of them making the playoffs would not surprise me, and that does include the Sabres. Yeah, I mean, iron sharpens iron, so I think whoever comes out of that division is going to be dangerous and scary yeah. come uh, come semifinal time. Um, For sure. That brings us to our favorite division, right? The West Division, Anaheim, Arizona, yes. Colorado, L.A., Minnesota, San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas Golden Knights. Now, obviously, since this is a division we care a little bit more about, I went ahead and just, you know, predicted what I think the Avalanche are going to end up with. I'm coming up with about a 38-14-4 record. What do you think about that? Um, I'll say more overtime losses and less regulation losses because we all know the Avalanche can't win a three-on-three game if their life depended on it. Give me, <laughs> give me what <laughs> what did you point. say, 34-14-8? and 38-14-4. 38, wow, way off, I'm dyslexic. 38-14-4, I would say 38-10-8 is the way that I would say it. Not too, not too different. Yeah, four, too different. four you know, regulation my, losses go to the overtime loss. Right, and you know, I, overall, I had the Avalanche winning every single series except for St. Louis and Vegas. Just to be safe, I split those series, and they still had a pretty strong record. So, uh, you know, you gotta can't help but feel good about this division for the Avalanche, and uh, you know, they might. I don't. I just. Am, I'd be worried about them having the Tampa Bay syndrome, and I don't want them to coast through this division. I don't think they will necessarily, because there are there's still some strong teams. But you hate to see them get comfortable against the Arizonas, LAs, and Anaheims. I just. I can't see this Avalanche team as the kind of team that that would get comfortable with anything. The team that I would look at in this division as the team that might get comfortable throughout the regular season is the St. Louis Blues, because a couple years ago they had a chip on their shoulder after they fired Mike Yo and brought in Craig Berube, which which feels like about a decade ago. Uh, they had a chip on their shoulder to go out and, and prove that they're not a bottom feeder team. And lo and behold, they ended up making the playoffs, winning the Stanley Cup. And holy crap, they were defending Stanley Cup champions last year. Uh, then last year came around. They, they continued that success into the regular season. They beat the Avalanche by a narrow margin in points percentage uh, to win the first spot in the West. And then the whole... Uh, what was it? The playing round with the round robin and all that stuff happened. So they ended up they ended up falling behind there, and then they ended up getting upset by the Vancouver Canucks. This is a team to me now in year three of this new era, this Ryan O'Reilly era, and the Stanley Cup champion era. This is a team to me that could possibly be the team to just say, let's just coast until we get to the playoffs and and focus on being good in the playoffs. Now, the Avalanche don't strike me as that team. The Avalanche still are a team that has done and proven nothing in this league, you know, in, in the last five years. Yes, they've made it to the second round each of the last two years. Yes, they were one of the top teams in the league in the regular season last year. But if you talk to anybody in that locker room, and that includes Nathan McKinnon, they don't see themselves as anything more than a team that has done nothing but win a first round playoff series two years in a row. 
And that's ultimately what it is. None of these guys are your Joe Thorntons and none of these guys are your Patrice Bergerons and your and your uh, Ryan O'Reilly's and players that have seen playoff success. They're players that are itching for more. Uh, and, and adding guys like Brandon Saad, who has been there before, but has been on a team that's been terrible the last few years, is only going to add to that chip on their shoulder. So I just cannot see the Avalanche as a team that coasts through the regular season. I can see him being on the other side and going too hard during the regular season before the playoffs, which Jared Bender is going to have to find that middle ground to make sure his team is ready to go when the playoffs begin. Yeah, we heard Nathan McKinnon, you know, he, he uh, what was it, Recently. on a podcast, I think he came out and, and was yeah. uh, just talking about the upcoming season here. And he said a lot of good things. You like hearing the, the, the superstars say a couple of the things he said, like, uh, you know, they just have to focus on the process more so than thinking about the end goal, right? It's, uh, it's about training camp first and getting better every day. And, you know, while it's cliche to say, I think having a guy like Nathan McKinnon with that mentality, and you can almost hear Jared Bednar's voice through him, uh, you know, I think it's just healthy. I think they have a really healthy culture right now within within the organization. They do. And, and Nathan McKinnon, what I like about him is that he's very aware of what's going on, even while saying that. Like when you when we talked to McKinnon last year, back when we could go into the locker rooms and have access to other humans, um, something he said to me many, many times was, this is the best team I've been on in seven years. And he didn't just say that to me. He said that to all media. It's been all over Twitter. We've we've seen and read it many, many times throughout these past 12 months. This is the best team I've been on in the last seven years. This is the, the first team that I feel like actually has a chance. But with that being said, still had a chip on his shoulder to say, but we haven't proven anything yet. We haven't done anything yet. And I think that that's just a contagious type of uh, attitude to have. And it starts with Jared Bednar, who's a very blue-collar type of guy. He's a coach that was given nothing and has done everything in his power to be who he is. And that includes a guy like Nathan McKinnon, who was drafted first overall, who still wants to be more than what he's been in the NHL to this point. So it's, it's a great atmosphere. It's a great attitude to have. And I just think everything about this Avalanche team is set up for success this year. It's just a matter of going out and doing it, going out and trusting that process. Like McKinnon said, the process, as the Canadians like to say, it's going out and trusting that process and making sure that you don't get ahead of yourself. Let's go into training camp. Let's prepare. Let's get those line combinations figured out. Where's Brandon Saad going to play? Where's Burakovsky going to play? Is Landis Scott going to be with McKinnon or is he going to be with Kadri? What's going to happen? Uh, Devon Taves, Ryan Graves, who's playing with Kel McCarr and who's not playing with Kel McCarr? Ian Cole's going to be on the bottom pairing. What about Dennis Gilbert? Is he going to get a chance to jump in? What about Bowen Byram? Let's start with these questions before you get too far ahead. And Nathan McKinnon thinks the same thing. Speaking of Kel McCarr, it's it's funny to me, uh, you know, now that he's had he's he's on the verge of a 56 game season as his second year, right? His rookie year also a shortened season. So he's really just getting the best opportunity to ease himself into an NHL schedule and yeah. an NHL routine, right? I mean, how, how that that's just ideal and you know, you, you can only hope that it's just going to lead to uh, a prolonged career uh, on the back end just because of uh, he's getting to acclimate at, at a much more comfortable pace than I think other uh, defensemen would get to. In 2015-16, he played for the Brooks Bandits of the AJHL. He played 54 games and had 55 points. 2016-17, when the Avalanche were a terrible team, he played 54 games again, had 75 points, was drafted fourth overall. He came to UMass in college. He played 34 games, and then in the 2019 season, 41 games, and then last season, 57 games. 
So over the last five years, I know there's some playoffs in there, but in terms of regular season, over the last five years, the most games he's played in a season are 57, followed by 54, 54, 41, and 34. So yeah, it's, it's nice that he's going to be able to ease himself in. I'm excited for that first 82-game season where he puts up 95 points, but for now, we'll settle for 70 and 56. I think that's a very reasonable goal for Kale McCarr this year. Yeah, assuming this season isn't too rigorous schedule-wise, right? You, last thing you yeah. want us do is overwork these guys and suddenly you get injuries but he's, um, yeah. he's young and he's young and still has the energy just don't sure. get injured and he'll kill it absolutely so yeah that concludes our uh, division look and just kind of our look at the restart anything else of note that you wanted to throw in there about the uh the new schedule and the, and the new season that's coming up here that's about it i'm excited to see what happens with the scheduling format i hope they don't release it monday morning i know they said it would be more midweek so tuesday wednesday thursday i'm assuming uh, before Christmas, we'll have a schedule. Um, but I, I'm excited to see what it looks like. I'm really excited to see the travel. I'm really excited to see uh, how many games are going to be played at ball. Well, obviously half of a 56 game season, 28 games will be at ball arena, most likely. But how are those games going to be spaced out? Is it going to be four or five games in one week and then a week off? I'm just really, really interested and intrigued by what the schedule is going to be this year. Yeah, I'm curious how they're going to handle, uh, you know, guys like us in the press box. Are we going to be allowed to go or are they going to, you know, because obviously if you allow media members, then you have to allow attendance and uh, security guards up in there. So suddenly you have a handful of people that you're forcing to uh, show up to work that maybe uh, it might be not safe. So, you know, and I also think about the... Uh, physics of a sneeze from the press box down to the ice i wonder if that's physically even you know a, a thing yeah i i don't know about that i'm not gonna go that deep into it but i will say a few things during the bubble training camp back in july if you recall the avalanche did not have i know you didn't attend i attended the, the training camp they did not have us sitting in the press box there was one or two people sitting in the press box and it was avalanche personnel it was danielle and i think brendan uh, we were sitting at the in the standing room only level, uh, in the, the handicap seats. Yeah, the two hundred. Yeah, the two hundred level. There was tables set up for us, and it was around. It was around one side of the rink. I imagine they're gonna do that all around, or maybe not all around, but around most of it. There was one entrance we can go up, one escalator we can go up, and then we go to the table that has our name on it. So considering that this is gonna be a little bit more than five or six media members for a regular season game, you're gonna have the stats guys and all that are gonna be up in the press box. Mark Mosher will probably be up in the press box. And then the media like you and me, the Denver Post, the Athletic, will likely have us, I'm guessing, on that mezzanine level. And then security and all that scattered out. So it can work, but here's a couple things. The the Denver Broncos, obviously, it's a different sport. It's a different format. It's a different arena or, or whatever. So it's the Denver Broncos this year, they don't even allow Mile High Sports to have a seat in the press box. They limited it like crazy. The Denver Nuggets, however, because their season starts literally in two days, which is mind-boggling to me, the NBA, well, not the NBA, but the Denver Nuggets specifically decided this year they are not going to have full season credentials. They're going to take it on a game-by-game -game basis. And every game, they will request a list of who's going to attend, and they will make their list depending on what's happening in the current world and the events in terms of health, in terms of COVID, in terms of how many people you can have in a building and how off, how far off they need to be spaced out. That seems more like what the Avalanche would do. 
But then again, even though they're they're both cronky teams, they're the NBA and the NF and the NHL, and they share the same arena and the same ownership and a similar type of schedule. Uh, I would imagine the Avalanche are going to make their own decision whether it's something like that. But I will say with confidence that we will be at the games. It's just a matter of will both of us be at the games at the same time? Will we alternate? Where are we going to sit? Uh, but I don't see them not allowing media into the into the games. They're just going to not have us all squeezed together into that very small press box that the Pepsi that Ball Arena has. Well, if any of the PR members are listening, uh, we'd be fine to take a suite, take a suite if you need. You know, we'll bite the bullet the, and we'll go the, sit yeah. by ourselves in the suite. I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. We'll be away from the atmosphere. It won't get the same hockey feel. But if you need to shove us into the cronky suite just to get us out of the way and keep everybody healthy. We'll take the bullet. We'll do it. I mean, I, I'm fine making that sacrifice for the rest of the media team. Let's look ahead at the World Juniors that is beginning this week on Christmas Day, of course. Uh, that's going to be awesome. Always exciting to watch juniors, even more so in this landscape where we're starred for hockey and I'm watching hockey games from 2015 and 2017. But, man, I'll tell you what, that Stanley Cup final between the Penguins and the Nashville Predators was exciting rewatching it. I, I, I guess I didn't remember how fun it was. Um, I, I think the Penguins had like 14 shots in game one and they won like five to three or something like that. I just remember right. a funky statistic like that. I remember, yeah. I've said Jake funky Gensel a lot this up. episode. But yeah. But, <laughs> but anyway, the World Juniors, obviously, we got three Avs prospects to keep an eye on, uh, all on Team Canada Alex Newhook, Justin Barron, and Bowen Byram. Bowen Byram getting named the assistant captain this week. Awesome. Obviously, we're excited for him and, uh, seeing a, a promising draft pick come through the organization, but even better that he's got leadership qualities as the Avalanche are known to find. Yeah, and uh, he's a returning player on that team. He won gold with them a year ago, and now he's going to play on the top pair with Jamie Drysdale, who's a very, very good top offensive defenseman and a high draft pick in 2020. I'm excited for him. I'm excited for all three guys. Uh, Canada, I believe it's 22 of their 24-man roster our first round draft picks in the NHL. And that includes all three of the avalanche guys, Newhook, Byram and Barron are the last three first round picks. The avalanche have had, and all three of them are going to represent team Canada. And the exciting part about it is so Byram, we know who he is. He's a top prospect. He had a hell of a season in the WHL last year. He won gold with team Canada in 2020 at the world juniors, and he's going to get a second shot. We know about Bowen Byram. Alex Newhook is a player we know the Avalanche took him 16th overall that one year in 2019. He had a hell of a year in college last year. He was the rookie of the year in, in the NCAA. He scored a lot of goals. There's a lot of hype around him. He's going to be a top six forward on this team. And then there's Justin Barron, who has taken 25th overall this season. A lot of people had him ranked in the 40s because of a health issue that he had last season. And not only did he make the team, not only did he make the camp, and not only did he make the team, but he's got a top six position on that blue line, solidified, playing alongside Caden Gooley on the third pair. That, to me, is the surprise of all surprises. And that, to me, says Justin Barron just might be better than we thought. And the Avalanche might have another defenseman on their hands who's a heck of a lot better than we thought. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm with you. I'm excited to see, you know, my get, get my own scouting in. All we've seen is a few YouTube highlights and read other people's scouting of him. Well, I like to watch myself and see what I can assess. But, you know, like you said, we already know about Newhook. We already know about Byram. Uh, it was just nice to see the uh, NHL Network rank their top 50 prospects right now in the NHL. Newhook and Byram both in the top 10, which is so sweet to see. But crazy 
that the LA Kings have nine prospects playing in the World Junior this this year. Uh, so definitely excited yeah. to see what they have developing in the next five sort of, years. Sort of the Red Wings. Sort of the Red Wings. The Red Wings have a lot of them, and the Red Wings had one guy, and William Wallinder was one of the players on Sweden that had to back out last minute because of uh, because of COVID related issues. Uh, so those are the teams that admittedly should be the ones that are that are on the rise because they've been at the bottom for so long. But to have a team like the Avalanche have that many guys on Canada, who's the defending champs, and have three players on their eighteen guys that are going to be starting on forward and defense, on top of being a team that's a Stanley Cup contender, is really really good to see. Don't you think it's? I mean, we know. Don't you don't, don't you think it's weird to see the fact that they're only on Team Canada this year though we're used to seeing the Avalanche have a pretty spread out group of prospects I mean it's it's nice to, that that they're all basically home runs on Team Canada but usually we're you know we're keeping an eye on a Russian a Finn um, you know and a few Canadians and an American so just to have them all on Team Canada is a yeah. little bit different for me this year I think it's a little bit different and what I like about it is that it's a very strong team and for three players to make it on a strong team is impressive. That's the part that mm-hmm. I love about this. It's the fact that, you know, even if you look at, let's say, the NHL Olympics, because this is a little bit easier to follow. In 2014, the Avalanche didn't have anybody on Team Canada. Matt Duchesne didn't make Team Canada. Or sorry, let's let's not, not 2014, 2010. 2010's the season that I was thinking of. They didn't have anybody on Team Canada. Matt Duchesne didn't make it. Ryan O'Reilly didn't make it. They were rookies back then. But they had Paul Stastny on the American team. They had someone like Jan Heda on the Czech team. They had all these guys on teams that they're only there because they're not as strong. So when you look at the world juniors, yes, they could have had like, you know, Eustace Annanen on Finland because he's a top goaltender. They could have had like a Zhirailov on Russia like last year because Russia might not be as strong. They could have a, if they had a German prospect, if they if they took John Jason Paterka in the draft this past year, he would make Germany just by, you know, process of elimination the fact that he's one of five good german prospects so he's obviously going to make the team but team canada there's 10 15 players every year that don't make this team and they deserve to make the world juniors because they're strong players alex newhook was one of the last cuts last year and people were saying that that was a bad cut made by team canada and they still went on and won the gold medal so to have three guys all make it and for Justin Barron to do what Newhook couldn't do and make it in year one of his draft NHL year and not have to wait another season to make it says to me that they're set up well. Like now, now you know Justin Barron, assuming he doesn't get injured and assuming he continues to play well, he's going to be a repeat Team Canada defenseman next year, just like Bowen Byram was this year. And that's what's interesting about it is the fact that they have three guys out of 18 on a stacked Canadian roster. Yeah, that's a good breakdown. I can't, can't agree more. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on, actually two more things for the WJCs. Germany coming into the game, hot, eight positive coronavirus tests, not a good start. Sweden had two on the personnel side of things, but eight eight players for Germany. Got, got to clean that up, boys. Yeah, they, they shoved a bunch of European teams onto one airplane and, and sent them all to Edmonton on one chartered flight. And, I mean, who could have saw that coming? So I don't know. It was it's just a bad look. Sweden had personnel. Sweden had an assistant coach they had to send home along with players like William Wallinder and, and Eklund, who's going to be a high draft pick this year. So I feel bad for the Swedes, but you know, hopefully they get this cleaned up. Hopefully the bubble does what it did for the NHL and they can just have a good solid tournament. And then lastly, if you're local, 
Don't be completely bummed that the Avalanche don't have any prospects for Team USA because we've got Bobby Brink from the University of Denver on Team USA uh, this year. He makes his second appearance at the World Juniors, which is awesome to see there too. It's always uh, you know, something special about the guys that can make it two years in a row. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be keeping an eye on on the Americans as well. If you're going to go the college route, I'm going to go the college route as well because they have three guys from Michigan. Boo. And, that, <laughs> and, that, and I, I saw you set enough for that. And that doesn't even include uh, John Beecher and Thomas Bortolo who had to who had to be cut last minute because of a positive case and an exposure. Uh, so they could have had five guys on the American team. Um, but, you know, makes no never mind. Canada's going to repeat. It's going to be fun. Newhook's going to win gold. Byram's going to win a second. Barron's going to win gold. And, you know, to, to transition away from the World Juniors before I give you a chance to tell me how the Americans are not going to win, uh, Alex Newhook is going to be an interesting case this year because assuming nothing changes with the NCAA and the Frozen Four, that tournament is going to be done by April 10. And if Boston College makes it to that far, which they may or may not, who knows, but if they make it that far, their last potential game is April 10. The NHL trade deadline is April 12th. The, this, the regular season doesn't end until May 8th. Like Kale McCarr last, or two seasons ago, Alex Newhook could get signed and jump into the Avalanche lineup before the trade deadline. He can play an entire month of the regular season before even getting to the playoffs. And that to me is interesting. Not that the Avalanche are going to need him, but let's face it. We are one uh, bad hit away from saying Landeskog is out two to three months. We are one bad hit away from Rantanen going into the boards like he did against Tampa Bay and saying he's out for 16 games. You know, all of those injuries that they had last year. To have somebody like Newhook in your back pocket, sort of the secret weapon to say, let's bring him up, is honestly going to be probably one of the best trade deadline acquisitions that any team can make. And even if he doesn't get too many minutes, it's just good to bring him up, get to know yeah. the guys, get familiar. You know, they did that with Bo Byram uh, in the bubble. He he was there. Yep. Didn't do anything, but he was there. So it's yeah. a good way to get started and uh, familiar with your new team. So yeah, well said. Well yeah, said. Yeah, I just I just don't I just don't foresee Alex Newhook going back for a third year in college. So I think he'll be an Avalanche player next year, regardless. Uh, right now, Brandon Saad is going to be in the top six, but if they don't re-sign him, that's Newhook's spot to lose. But if they do re-sign Saad, they might lose a comp for a Donskoy in the expansion draft, assuming it's not a defenseman that they lose. So then a top nine spot opens up. Regardless, Newhook is going to be on this team next year, and he just might get some playing time this year, and he might be effective. He seems like the kind of player that can come in and make a make an impact. You know, like a Kel McCarr or, you know, another forward that's done it. Chris Kreider did it with the Rangers way back when. There's a lot of guys that do it, and I could see Kel I could see Alex Newhook being one of those as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that brings us to uh, our descent. Let's start wrapping up the show here and go to the social media moment of the week, which I think you have prepared. It's an Eric Johnson, and uh, this one hits hits the heart a little bit. It's a little bit of a heavier topic, isn't it? Yeah, so Eric Johnson, we're going to go through this. You know, we'll talk more about it in the three stars. Obviously, the news came out a little bit ago that Pierre Lacroix passed away, 72 years old, the former general manager and president of the Avalanche, who came with the team from the Nordiques. He and uh, Jean Martineau were the two long uh, uh, handoffs from the Nordiques to the Avalanche organization. Uh, Pierre Lacroix. You know, we know who he is and we know what he's done for this organization. Um, I personally believe he's the reason why the Avalanche are as powerful and effective of a franchise as they are. 
because he went out and acquired Patrick Waugh, one of the biggest trades in NHL history. Patrick Waugh used to be, he used to be the agent of Patrick Waugh before then when he was a player with the Canadians. He went out and acquired a Patty Waugh. He went out the next year and he acquired a, uh, you know, years later, he acquired a Theo Fleury at the deadline. He brought in a Rob Blake at the deadline. He brought in a Ray Bork at the deadline and re-signed Ray Bork. And that was all, I think I heard this on your radio show yesterday. This was around the time when the Avalanche's ownership was in, was in, was a blunder and nobody really knew what was happening. And they had somebody, a CEO sort of as a holdover and, he was still able to bring in a big name player like Ray Bork and re-sign him after losing to Dallas in Game Seven. Uh, Pierre Lacroix was never one to shy away from making that trade, but like I've heard from Terry Fry, like I've heard from many others, he was a family man. He was a great guy, and Eric Johnson had a tweet about him as well. And the cool thing about Eric Johnson is he was acquired by the Avalanche in 2011. That late night trade that involved Shattenkirk and Chris Stewart. And this was in February, I think, or March of 2011, so almost 10 years ago, which is crazy to think. But this is also six years or five years after Pierre Lacroix stepped down from the GM position and gave it to Francois Jaguer, which later became Greg Sherman, who's the one that went out and acquired EJ. So Johnson never really played for Lacroix as a GM. And Lacroix really didn't have a big handle or a big piece of this team by the time EJ was acquired but he still had an impact on this organization he still had an impact on his players and that to me says all you need to know about Pierre Lacroix he wasn't even on the Avalanche's staff he wasn't somebody that was in the day-to-day and he still was in there when players were being acquired so Eric Johnson said very sad to hear about this news which came out December 13th so last Sunday Pierre was larger than life I'll always remember him welcoming me to Denver in 2011 with open arms his fingerprints are all over the avalanche, past and present. My thoughts go out to his entire family. And the two big things that stick out there is he welcomed me to Denver with open arms in 2011. And this is at the time, like I said, where Lacroix wasn't a day-to-day operations guy with the team. And his fingerprints are all over the avalanche, not just past, but present. And that to me says everything you need to know about Pierre Lacroix and the, organiza- and the impact he's had on this organization leading into its 25th anniversary. Right, absolutely. Like you kind of said, uh, we had Terry Fry and Adam Foote on the hockey show yesterday with me and Ryan Bolding, so check those out. Great interviews, obviously had nothing but great things to say. Um, you know, we know Pierre Lacroix was a great GM, but not only that, he was an, an amazing person as well. So um, I don't have any personal stories with Pierre Lacroix, obviously yeah. too young, but I have nothing but respect for Pierre Lacroix because he built um, a team that, you know, made me fall in love as a child. And it's uh, obviously why I'm sitting here today talking about this nonsense with you. Yeah, and he, he always went out and he always made those big moves. Even after Patty retired, he brought T. Mussolini and Paul Correa here. He went out at the deadline. I don't know why this, to me, was one of the biggest. It ended up being a total bust of an acquisition. But one of the coolest acquisitions for me when I was a kid was when he went out and traded for Tommy Salo. Because I used to think that was one of the best goalies in the league for whatever reason. I think he was good in you know one of the EA Sports games I played in like 2003 or something. But he went out and acquired team uh, Tommy Salo. He went out and made all these trades, brought in a Paul Korea, brought in a team Mussolini. Yeah, they didn't work, but he was never one to shy away from making those moves. And one that gets forgotten, I think, a lot is Ryan Smith, right? He didn't really yes. work out that well, but what a great acquisition that was. Yeah. 
He got Ryan Smith for a heck of a lot less than the Montreal Canadiens were offering. And I, I remember this vividly that Ryan Smith was offered $7.5 by the Habs, and he took 6.25 to come to Denver. He brought in also Scott Hannon in 2007. That same year, that was five years after Scott Hannon beat the ever-living shit out of Peter Forsberg in that seven-game series in 2 that the Avalanche won over San Jose. Which, if you're wondering how long ago that was, that was the last time the Avalanche won a Game 7. But Scott Hannon was one-on-one against Peter Forsberg that entire series and just bullied the Swede that we know and love. Five years later, Pierre Lacroix bought him, brought him to Denver, and, and Scott Hannon was part of that team that that the Avalanche had in 2008 that made the playoffs, that had one final go with Sackick, Foot, and Forsberg all on the same team. It, you know, It ended in a second-round defeat to Detroit. But Pierre Lacroix always made those moves. He was always willing to go out and bring in those big names. And and that's why this team, like I said, the difference between the Avalanche being an organization that actually has a fan base and an organization like the Carolina Hurricanes, who, you know, only has excitement when they're good, is the fact that Pierre Lacroix brought this team over. It was a team that he built with the Nordiques. He brought them over and right away he had his stamp and he brought in a Patrick Waugh. He brought in a Mike Keene and he did what he can to win that cup the first year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and as a child, I was always like, why don't most teams run their teams like this? This guy obviously wants to win and he only brings in great players. This is what everybody should do. And, uh, you know, at the time you thought it was going to last forever and the Avalanche were always going to be able to acquire players like that. But, man, what great times they were and all because of Pierre Lacroix's handlings. And, and, you know, I think people respected him and wanted to play for him, which was a, a big advantage. Yeah, and, and Joe Sackick, he, he talks about this in the article that uh, – you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Terry Fry wrote a piece on Joe Sackick, and he was on the 200th edition of the Mile High Sports magazine. And he was on your hockey show with you and Ryan Bolding and talked about it as well. Is Sackick talks a lot about how he's a general manager that learned from Pierre Lacroix. And that's what I love about those Avalanche players. And, you know, we're going to see this with this next wave and this next generation of players the Gabe Landeskogs, the Eric Johnsons, the Nathan McKinnons. Those players, while they were finishing up their career, were learning and were acquiring information that they were going to need in their future. So let's go past Joe Sackick for a second. Let's go to Patrick Waugh. Patty had a great relationship with Bob Hartley, and he talked constantly about when he came in to coach the Avalanche. Yes, he only coached for three seasons. Yes, he wasn't the best coach, even though he wanted Jack Adams in his first year. He talks a lot about how in those final years that he had in the NHL as a player— he was very, very – he communicated a lot with Bob Hartley, with his head coach, and talked to him a lot about coaching and how to coach and all these different things that you need to learn about coaching. And then here he was 11 years later coaching the Avalanche to a first-round uh, – to a, to a first-place spot in their division. And Joe Sackick did the exact same thing with Pierre. He talked about learning from Pierre. He talked about taking advice from Pierre about how – the best work you can do is the work where nobody, or I forget the quote exactly. It's where nobody knows what you're doing, where you're quiet. And, you know, you don't need to tell quoteless Joe to not talk. He already doesn't do that. But he learned and he picked up a lot of these things from Pierre Lacroix. And, and you know, Pierre back in the day, it was, it was surprise after surprise. It was waking up in the morning and seeing Avalanche reunite Korea Solani when there was no rumors about it. It was waking up and seeing Theo Fleury is now an Av. It was waking up and seeing Rob Blake is an Av. It was waking up and seeing Ray Bork is an Av. Patrick Waugh is an Av. He made these moves without talking about them. And Joe Sackick learned from him. And now you're going to see Joe teaching this next generation of players. And it's going to be this line of generations upon generations of Avalanche success because of Pierre. 
Yeah, it'll be fun 50 years down the road to kind of, you know, like that Eric Lindros trade tree, kind of break down everything that Pierre was responsible for and how long those kind of those things and assets lasted around the organization. That's going to be pretty fun and wild, but you know, it's it's tough it's tough loss. It's uh it stinks, but um you know, I'm glad he's getting the respect and the shout outs that he deserves because he he obviously was an amazing person. So that brings us to our final portion of the show, the Mile High Sports Three Stars of the Week. Starting with star number three, we're gonna go with Wojtek Volski, former Avalanche draft pick, My announced God. his of- official retirement uh just this past week on the Spit and Chicklets podcast and also, just one dancing or skating with the star. What's that show called? The one where they do ice skating in Canada? Uh, the Blades of Glory. The Blades. Uh, the Blades of. Uh, what's it called? Blades of Glory. Uh, I think Canada's Got Talent. I I can't believe I forgot that because I was just gonna talk about it. I was just thinking about it. I I I didn't watch it. Obviously, I used to watch it when I was a kid. It's the stupidest thing, but it's so fun to watch. <laughs> but I was I kept up with it because I follow Chris Versteeg on 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 Instagram. And if you don't follow Chris Versteeg. I'm telling you and I'm telling our listeners, go out and follow him. He is one of the most entertaining hockey follows, very Sean Avery-like in terms of how he breaks down games on TV. Uh, but Versteeg was also in, in the Battle of the Blades. Blades of Glory is a freaking movie, you idiot. I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Battle of the Blades. Chris Versteeg was also on Battle of the Blades. Anthony Stewart was on it. Brian Bickle was on it. And Wojtek Volsky. And Volsky ended up winning. And it was a lot of fun to see Chris Versteeg break down how it all went down. But... Yeah, for Wojtek Volsky, it was a hell of a career. He was drafted by the Avs in 2004. He was picked by Pierre Lacroix. And he was taken in a draft where, you know, it wasn't really the— it, let's face it, it was a weak first round. Yes, you had Ovechkin and Malkin at the top, but it was a weak draft. And for Volsky to get taken in the 20s and be the player he was— uh, was a great pickup for the Avs. Uh, I learned a lot about his career and about him that I d- had no idea just from listening to his interview on the Chicklets podcast last week um, in terms of, you know, escaping communism and, and uh, moving to Canada for at a young age, which which was one of the things that surprised me in 2018 when he represented Team Canada. I was like, oh, okay, this is a thing. So that's why he, he identifies and considers himself Canadian before anything else. Uh and he shared a ton of stories. If you haven't listened to it yet, I'll plug in the Spit, Spit and Chicklets podcast. Not that they need me to plug for them. He shared a lot of good stories about Joe Sackick, about his years with the Avalanche, playing with the Sackicks and the Forsbergs and those guys. And he talked a lot about Joe, how he was running the team you know, in his final seasons, how he was talking about one day being a GM, how he basically... Joel Quinville was the coach, but really Joe Sackick was the coach. It was a great story. It was a lot of cool things, and it, it brings out the personality of Joe, and it just shows how it just it's one of those things that's so cool to see someone like Volsky, who was born in 1986, which I believe is around your age, and he's a little bit older than me, is able to talk about this legend and Joe Sackick and learning from him and playing with him. It's it's a really fascinating and cool interview. I'm sort of going on a bit of a tangent. Long story short, shout out to Wojtek. Look at you nodding. Yes, because I am. Uh, shout out to Wojtek Volsky on a great career. He really made the most of it. I was bummed when he was traded, but, you know, Peter Mueller was a great acquisition as well. Uh, but, you know, shout out to him. Hat tips to him. He has officially announced his retirement. Uh, do you know who Sandy Clough is? Uh, it sounds familiar. He's a local He's a local radio guy, and I think he's one of the few people in the world that I legit think can – handle a radio program all by himself i think you could maybe do that too you you, you're very into having conversations with yourself and just going on these long stretches 
I think I think you you should give it a shot one day. See how it goes. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here talking about. I'm sitting here talking about Volsky, looking up at the wall. I have a picture hung up over here, and I'm looking at my things on the table over here. And I'm I I just <laughs> kept going. It's it's what I do. It's it's getting me to shut up is the trick. That's a quote from Shrek. Hey, we're a podcast. <laughs> You're supposed to talk. I love it. No worries. Uh, that brings exactly. us star number two. We brought it up earlier in the podcast, but that's Henrik Lundqvist, obviously announcing he can't play this next season. I was really looking forward to what he had to offer this Washington Capitals, but um, you know, it, you can't help but feel like there's a chance this is the end. I mean, a heart condition is pretty serious stuff. I don't think it's something you just get over in uh, four or five months. So, um, you know, hats off to Henrik Lundqvist if it is the end. Yeah, and, and you know, we mentioned it earlier that Pierre, uh, that Peter Laviolette is going to be the head coach there. Who was a big, you know, a big instrumental piece of the Philadelphia Flyers for all those years, and him coaching Ovechkin is already going to be interesting because they were rivals for so long. But him also coaching Henrik Lundqvist was something I was looking forward to, just because of that Rangers Flyers rivalry from those years. It's obviously not going to happen this year. Hopefully next year he gets a shot. Maybe the Capitals bring him back. Hopefully he, hopefully this isn't the end of his career because this is not what we thought would happen after all of the talk and all the speculation the past 12 13 months of him ending his career with the rangers and that brings us to star number one of course it's with heavy hearts that we talk about it but we just said a lot of great things about him and the impact he had on the colorado hockey scene is undeniable and that's pierre lacroix of course absolutely and you know there isn't much more to be said about him that we haven't said already uh people that have stories and and actual experiences with him would likely be able to go on a far greater and longer rant than I just went on and you just went on. Uh, but, you know, hell of a guy, hat tips to him. Um, I, I I don't know why I remembered this when, when he passed, and it feels like forever ago, but in 2017, when the Avs were going through their crazy, terrible season and, and there was the rumors of Kyle Dubas from the Toronto Maple Leafs getting interviewed by the Avalanche and then Toronto pulling out last second, and is Joe Sackett going to be the GM? What's going to happen? All this terrible season and Will Butcher leaving and going to New Jersey and all this stuff happening. There was a rumor in an article out there, which you can Google, that in 2017, Pierre said, I want back in on this team. There was a rumor going out there that Pierre Lacroix wanted back in with the Avalanche just three years ago as a GM, as a 69-year-old. And it feels like such a long time ago. But obviously, here we are now. He passed away. There There was a lot of health issues with him, but... You know, shout out and hat tips to Pierre. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, not much else to talk about. We've covered a lot, and uh, I guess that's a good place to stop. So before we get out of here, do you have anything else you want to let the listeners know? And uh, we'll wrap this baby up. Yeah, one last rant from me. We are going to go ahead and start recording now that hockey's ramping up. It is Sunday, December 20. Training camp begins literally in two weeks from today. So you will see an episode from us every Sunday. So next Sunday, we will do a preview episode. Hopefully, we'll have a guest on for that one. The following Sunday will be a recap of day one of training camp. And then we're going to go right into the season with an episode every Sunday plus a midweek episode, but depending on the Avalanche schedule, whether it's a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, we'll, we'll try to figure it out and we'll go through the season as we can. Um, it's going to be really, really fast. And I think that's something that we have to think about and take into account is this is going to be a quick season because in a year from now, we're going to be 25, 30 games into the following season. But if you're wondering just how fast this year is going to be, day one of training camp until the end of the regular season is usually 207 days from the start of camp through the end of eight game 82. This season 
in 207 days, training camp's going to happen. The regular season's going to happen. On top of that, the playoffs are going to happen. The cup will be awarded. The Seattle expansion draft, the NHL draft, and the first day of free agency will be wrapped up all in 207 days. So from two weeks from now until the first day of, of the unrestricted free agency ends, is going to be a sprint. It's going to be 207 days, which if that seems like a long time, it really isn't. And, uh, you know, we're going to be here with two episodes a week, starting when the season starts, going along the ride, you know, join us for the ride. It's going to be fun. Hopefully the Avalanche make a run and they're playing well into July. That's my last rant of the day, I promise. <laughs> I don't even know what I could add. You already said everything I was going to say. So I mean, I don't even I guess... know why you're here, right? I could, I could, like you said, I could do the one man show. I got yeah, it. I'll just I'll just sit here and say uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> but yeah, that being said, strap in. It's time to get uh, ready for the hockey season. So we'll be here. Uh, let's pick up the engagement on Twitter. We're always available. So reach out to us at Run Right Arif, at JJ of the Year. We'll see you next time on the podcast. If you made it this far, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you.